0: RadioInfluence.com
1: Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Dark to Light podcast with
0: Six Feet of Twisted Steel and Sex Appeal, otherwise known as Michael Falco. I'm sorry to surprise you with that, but I just saw an article out of The Sun that says, if you haven't caught COVID, it might be down to how attractive you are.
1: Well, that's awesome.
0: So I have not caught the COVID. Not that I know, because no one's handing out the test to see if you've actually had it. But uh, a new study based on a, a small sample, 492 volunteers says that uh, your attractiveness may have increased or bolstered your immune system and prevented you from getting the COVID-1984 virus. I have not got the COVID-1984 virus, therefore, I must be hot
1: and spicy like your mama. (laughs) My mom hasn't gotten it either, so yeah. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe.
0: See, isn't this the most ridiculous thing in science? Thank you, The Sun, for your health news.
1: Science. <laughs> you see, I would I would love to jump over to the question asked of our uh, illustrious Supreme Court nominee, whose name I do not care to know how to pronounce.
0: Uh, Katenji Brown
1: Jackson. Katenji, that's her name. Yes, but I don't want to do that yet in the beginning of the show, Mike. I'd like to get some other things out of the way, and we can spend the second half on this absolutely amazing testimony from yesterday.
0: Yeah, we will, we will. Uh, should we do old business, you know, like they do at meetings when they do parliamentary procedure? Yes. Is there any old business before we get to new business?
1: Yes, let's do some old business. You've got some, some updates for us, right?
0: I do, at the end of the program or sometime during the program, when last we met, I mentioned uh, my friend, Dr. Michael Roizen, he of the Cleveland Clinic, a guy who, Eats, sleeps, and drinks medical research told me that um Parkinson's originated as basically the long COVID version of what happened with the Spanish flu. So I got him on the horn and uh we talked about just that. It's it's a couple of three minutes long, but if you want to hear it, I can I can share it with I you. I would
1: love to. That would be fantastic.
0: And I didn't I didn't tell him anything other than I wanted to clarify. Well, you can hear my question. This is from my discussion yesterday with Dr. Michael Royson. I'm glad you're here because I was talking with a friend of mine about something you and I talked about a long time ago. We've been talking about COVID for, this is into our third year now. And um, in in our discussions about COVID, we also talked about how um, during the Spanish flu, a century ago, over a century ago, that they had kind of a long COVID thing working there too, where people who get the, the flu and survive it had um, long-term effects, like we're seeing with some of the people who have long COVID. And I swear, I thought I remembered you saying that they tracked Parkinson's to people who got the Spanish flu and survived it. Am I correct in saying that Parkinson's was a side effect or a long-term effect of the Spanish flu?
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. And in fact, in Denmark now, they found it's a long-term effect of the influenzas that have come since then. But most of the um, Parkinson's disease in the 50s, 60s, and early 70s were people who um, got the Spanish flu um, in the 1917 to 19 period and ended up with this long-term effect. And if you look at the effect of the COVID virus, that is, um, if you look at where the viral particles end up in long COVID, um, which we now can identify by uh, the um, some sensitive mri with labeling with tagging it turns out that it's in the basal ganglia which is the area that gets um, destroyed or disturbed if you will abnormal with parkinson's disease that is with the abnormal movement and brain functioning so it's the same thing now the the even more disturbing part of that is they've found that people um, who have developed the flu, the regular flu, um, that is, they looked in Denmark at people who got the flu versus those who got immunized and did not get the flu. Um, The particles in a significant number of them, of the flu, meaning the viral particles, end up in those same basal ganglia. So
0: that's a little surprising but he did there was some wiggle room in there he said most when he talked about people who get Parkinson's so it's not all
1: so here's here's where the disconnect happened Mike yeah when you had initially said that you said the way it was said I understood it not that this was your fault this is just how I perceived it both times that yeah. the cause of Parkinson's was the spanish flu not that it was a side effect of having the spanish flu
0: yeah and i could see that because i'm not a medical professional and my language is impre- imprecise but is that not a surprising bit of news and information
1: um no it is surprising everything that comes out of long COVID is going to be surprising because we don't know really what this virus does to you long term we have well no-
0: do you want to get even more um Angry or disturbed about something? Sure. Okay. Not long after that, we were talking, Dr. Royson and I. And, um, well, I'll just play it for you, and and you can hear it, because I know where your reaction's going. Oh, boy, here we go. Yeah.
2: It looks like the viral particles, the virus itself, is living in the um, or is existing in the basal ganglia of the brain. Now, the the interesting component of that is that the the thing we do not understand long COVID, um, just like we didn't understand uh, the long Spanish flu symptoms, um, but the you know a third of people get better after they get vaccinated, that or boosted. Um, that is, they get rid of their long COVID symptoms, and so. Um, we think that a group of the people with long COVID actually have persistent virus as opposed to, and that, and that the vaccine uh, and immunologic response to it somehow gets rid of it.
0: So the people who have long COVID, and those numbers are not insignificant. No, they're not. And uh, he's saying that th- there are current numbers on it, and those numbers might change. Who knows? That they are seeing a 30% of those people who get boosted or get the injection will see those symptoms of long COVID go away.
1: So I would ask him following that, just for my curiosity, like my follow-up question would have been, do you or can you reference a study that has also used monoclonal antibody treatment to enhance that same effect?
0: Excellent. That's a great question. And I will we talk every week cuz we talk about golf and medicine we have no lives obviously yeah. but he's an interesting cat and i think you would appreciate his information and he's he's very thorough he goes through every bit of research in the world every week
1: that doesn't that doesn't surprise me that the immune response to spike which is the vaccine or the body's response to creating whatever immune response it's going to try to use to get rid of spike would assist somebody who may be suffering from long COVID. If in fact, long COVID is existing virus that has not been eradicated and somehow finds a way to propagate in the cells that he's spoken about. That wouldn't surprise me at all because that's been documented in a bunch of other places. You're surprised I'm not angry, right?
0: No, 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 no. Well, you know, you get angry when it's personal. You don't get angry when it's general and, and you, you've taken a really interesting tact on this. And I love your follow up question. I'm absolutely going to grill him with that.
1: Yeah, I would be curious to see that because if that's the case, there's no need for people with long COVID to now run out and poison themselves with a shot that I would argue in 10 to 15 years is going to cause far more problems than some latent virus in the ganglia. Just saying.
0: Well, let's find out. I, I don't like hanging out with the ganglia. That's just me.
1: Yeah. The ganglia is not a good group to be messing no. with. You know, they control a lot of things. They got territory. Mama said that.
0: <laughs> don't mess with the ganglia turf. You don't want to get in trouble there. So, uh, before, what else do you want to hit before we get to yesterday? Because there are a couple other weird issues out there.
1: I sent you a story that I wrote yesterday. I don't know if you had a chance to read it.
0: Let me see. Because I usually read everything you send me, honest to God. You sent it to me in a textual message, didn't yes, you? Yes, sir, I did. Um If you did, Yes. You did. Yes, and this this is a this is a huge story.
1: I, I and wa- it's
0: a deep story. Yes, it, it is. Yes, it I, is. I Can we knock out one more weird story before or one more short update story before we get into this cuz this deserves time.
1: Yes, yes, sir. Go ahead.
0: Um where is our president headed?
1: Um, to a COVID quarantine facility?
0: Uh, no, 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 no. No, I'm, you're not. Bill Clinton does not call um, a strip club a COVID quarantine facility <laughs> because Hillary tested positive. He is he is self not quarantining anywhere else but where she is. No, I'm talking about the current president, uh, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr.
1: Well, I mean, he was socially distanced at a press conference or a, at a, a meeting with Jen Psaki, thrice infected Jen Psaki. So.
0: Is she thrice infected? I I thought it was thrice infected.
1: I could have sworn it was three times, but that first one may have been propaganda, so I'm not sure. So it's definitely two, potentially three.
0: Interesting that she gets a positive COVID test just before there's a trip that the president is going on, so she can't go. I'm just saying.
1: So did Klaus Schwab, I, I read. It's like there was one big global NWO meeting. General Flynn said, just put them all on ventilators and hook them up with remdesivir. They'll be fine. (laughs)
0: <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, anyway, and our, our president and we both said anyway at the same time. Our, our president is headed to a couple of meetings, four days in the Europe uh, to talk uh, with NATO and uh, about what we're going to do, because there's a war that's just broken out 28 days ago. Then he's just figured that out. Oh. But something interesting happened at the at the White House uh, briefing yesterday where Jake Sullivan was answering questions about what's going to happen and what we're doing, especially as it relates to uh, Russian oil. And there is something in this statement that I think uh, they don't realize what they said, they being the administration. May I?
1: Yes, please. The Russians and
3: the Hungarians seem to be reluctant on imposing uh, a ban on importing Russian oil and gas. Will this weaken the sanctions And would you call on um, the groups that the president's gonna meet uh, to expel Russia from the G20, of course, uh, group? And um, do you think that an agreement with Iran could be reached without Russia?
0: So she asked a million questions, but the key question is about Russian oil and gas and Russian energy, and here's Jake. So when the president announced that the United States was going to ban the import of Russian oil and gas, he was very clear. He said that the United States is uniquely positioned. We are an energy producer. Uh, We can do this. We can take this step of banning the import of Russian oil and gas and coal um, and and, and be able to withstand it, have resilience against it. But he also recognized quite a... I'm stopping right there. Because the fact that this administration just admitted we're an energy producer... And that's why that's
1: And we're why, not and we're not producing any energy.
0: Yeah. That's why we're calling Saudi Arabia, that's why we're calling Venezuela, that's why we're thinking about getting some Iranian oil. Yeah, we're energy producers. That make the damn energy. Sorry. Wow. I, I just I couldn't believe that they say the quiet part out loud and and then they don't realize how stupid they are, but that just got me yesterday.
1: That's a hell of a faux pas unless it was a messaging, a messaging, strategic messaging plan.
0: Yeah. Drill in Anwar, would you? Anwar. I I don't know how much time you spend on Anwar, the Alaskan Natural Wildlife Reserve and the massive riches up in Anwar. And, you know, if you were to take a football field, 100 yard football field and put a postage stamp in, in one corner of it, That's how big the drilling area would be in terms of the size of Anwar. And the Democrats don't want us to do it, even though Jimmy Carter signed the original approval. So uh, that that would solve all of our problems right there.
1: And that's that's just that's nothing compared to the rest of the places we've got to go.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's just uh, I just want people to understand it. Uh, Understand we have it and we won't destroy the planet and it's cleaner than Russian oil and gas, and our hands would be cleaner than dealing with Iran or Venezuela or the beheading bastards in Saudi Arabia. But I digress. Sorry. Um, Okay, I've got my major tabletop issues swept aside.
1: Okay. do you want to do you want me to go through this story in a storyteller type of way and explain it for everybody? Because I don't think people have really been following.
0: I don't think anybody's been following this, really. Uh, And it's a vital story. It's a story that's, well, it's not considered to be uh, salacious by the, the majority of the people in the country. But if they realized what it actually means to them <laughs> and how they themselves could get caught up in something like this, especially if you have a common name.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, a couple points there, too. So, OK, so I was reading through the docket of the Steve Bannon contempt, criminal contempt case. In, in D.C. What basically happened was Steve Bannon was asked to testify in front of the January 6th committee. He was contacted by President Trump's team and told, we, you know, we're invoking privilege. You aren't able to testify because we're not sure exactly where what things lie and we're invoking privilege based on that stuff. Yeah. He, his lawyer was the one in communication with the committee the entire time. He was served the subpoena, the attorney not Steve Bannon. Um, His attorney advised him not to participate in the hearings and to ask for an adjournment of a week so that they could watch how this one court case would play out where they were litigating the privilege issues. The J6 committee decided they didn't want to do that and instead issued the uh, the request that he be arrested to the DOJ. The DOJ did arrest him and then he's now at try, at, you know, looking to start trial. And there's been a lot of back and forth and stuff between the DOJ and the, this attorney. The DOJ is arguing that they can call the attorney as a witness because the attorney was the one who advised his client not to attend. That in and of itself is an absolute mockery of the United States justice system. But that's not the...
0: I was going to say, isn't this entire committee a mockery of the justice system?
1: Yes, and and there are procedural points to his defense, right? One of which being they're not even following committee rules. They're not an an actual real committee. And one of the reasons why they know that is because under committee rules in the House, you have to send a copy of the rules to the person that's going to be testifying. They also um, typically are allowed to have... If if he was going to testify, Mike, in front of the committee, even despite the privilege issues, right, then the attorney for the president would be with him to advise him on what he can and cannot say. But they would not allow that because this is a big show. This isn't real. OK, so.
0: Well, you're saying that should Bannon be in front of the committee and be asked to testify the president's attorney and his attorney would be there on either side flanking him. So when a question is asked, they put their hand over the microphone, whisper in his ear, oh, you don't have to answer that. That's privileged." privilege. That kind of a thing, right?
1: Correct. And okay. the J-6 committee would not allow Bannon to appear flanked by both attorneys.
0: Of course not, because then he would actually get fair treatment and he would get good counsel. Yes. And they can't have that.
1: No, they can't. So all of this minutia is going back and forth. I'm reading, reading, reading. And then all of a sudden, at some point, the attorney, whose last name is um, Costello. Costello. Yes. His last name is Costello. He realizes in the discovery materials that they receive, which they have to obviously claw claw to get. They're not Mm -hmm. just provided. He's looking, and it turns out that the DOJ has gone to a grand jury and also gone to a, a, a judge and gotten subpoenas and warrants. I wouldn't even call them warrants. They're using a provision to get the communications of the attorney, whose name is Robert M. Costello, I believe.
0: Robert J. Costello.
1: He's Robert J. Okay, I'm looking at my yes, column right now. there's another
0: Costello who got caught in this, uh, this net.
1: Yeah, so the DOJ decides that they're going to, instead of knowing what they're looking for, right, which is, which it, it, just the mere fact that they did this at all is a blockbuster story in and of itself, but then they cobble together what they think may potentially be Costello's email addresses, I don't know, let's try robertmcostello at gmail.com. Let's try Robert Costello. Let's try Bob Costello and let's try Bob Cost. Just just arguments, not real ones. That's, that's basically what they did. And they they send this to the carriers and the carriers return all of these emails. And so now while, while Costello is sitting there going through this discovery that they're provided to him, which I would argue they did by accident, just my opinion, he realizes that it's not even his email. It's some other man who is clearly 30 years older than he is, not him, lives in a different place. They have they have this man's financial credit card transactions that he did using the service, what emails he got, who they were sent to, who they were replied. you know, everything about this guy's emails. And they also got toll records for... Costello, the attorney, but in that was also some other person's cell phone number that doesn't, is not connected to him at all.
0: So these clowns, and I I don't think I'm doing any injustice here except to real clowns. These clowns have thrown this giant net out and dragged in everybody whose name is even close to this Costello gentleman, the attorney, and they have all the data. A, because the cell phone carriers provided it without thinking twice about it. And they have all of the records, the banking records, all the stuff of several Costellos who have absolutely nothing to do with this. This is such a massive violation of all of our rights yep. that it needs all of these people involved. Would If they had gotten this information in, in private situations, would be subject to criminal penalties.
1: Absolutely, and and it reminds me before I read how this attorney concludes this absolutely blockbuster filing, which is in the column, which will be in the show notes, which everybody should just take a few minutes to read through. It's linked in there. It's, yes. Did you read it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I know
0: you're shocked that I actually did my homework on this, but you sent this to me yesterday. I read it yesterday, and it had, I my jaw was dropping. It's te- I, thank God I have a weird name.
1: It's terrible. So what this reminds me of that all of the people that I've been following along since Spygate will remember is, do you remember when they said they went on full court press that Michael Cohen had gone to Prague? Okay. Oh, yeah.
0: And <laughs> yeah, was some other guy. Yes. And it, it wasn't even the same, not even the
1: same passport and they didn't even check. Yeah. Because they were doing a sweeping search of the 702 database that the NSA uses to collect data on every living person in this country and dead ones too. And they didn't, they were so abusive in their search that they just pulled any old Michael Cohen, said, oh, he was in Prague on this date and used it to craft, to backwards craft a narrative to fit what they were talking about. This is, it's an egregious, disgusting abuse of one of the most powerful surveillance states in the entire world. And here's how he ends it. He says, This motion is not just about the abuse of the grand jury subpoena process and the Stored Communications Act or the complete breach of Department of Justice policy and the underlying reasons behind that policy that reflect our government's recognition of the sanctity of the attorney-client relationship in our criminal justice system. Nor is it just about the effort by overzealous prosecutors to intimidate Mr. Bannon or make an example out of him or gain leverage as the president and members of Congress have demanded by obtaining his attorney's email and telephone records without any lawful basis or legitimate reason. It is far worse in their reckless zeal, these three prosecutors and their staff and the four FBI agents in this misdemeanor case just made up email addresses with a variety of carriers and served subpoenas and court orders on those carriers without regard to the consequences of their actions. They didn't stop even after they learned beyond any question that these were not email addresses for Mr. Costello. Instead, They apparently made representations to a federal judge that could not have been true or accurate in order to get an order for more emails from an account they had no reason to believe really belonged to attorney Robert J. Costello. It was just made up. They hoped they would get lucky and it would pan out no matter the invasion of privacy it caused for another private citizen. They obtained hundreds and hundreds of pages of confidential email records from this private citizen and went beyond that to his records on other Google sites, all the while ignoring the fundamental principles underlying the Stored Communications Act and the requirement for supervisory authorization for such subpoenas. Just a wanton disregard for any and all norms on a politically driven witch hunt. And if this is happening when people find out about it, imagine what's happening that they don't know about. Like what happened to project Veritas.
0: Yeah. Unlike, unlike the stuff that we have no idea what they've done. Like they only, st- they only, we only know about this cause they got caught. Cause this attorney staff is looking at the discovery materials and goes, Hey, wait a minute. There's a Costello in Cucamonga, Iowa. Who, who's got all his cell phone records in here and they're reading his text messages. And all of this is such a violation. All these people need to be charged criminally, but they won't.
1: No, and, you know, the judge is holding the, the order on this particular motion aside for right now or his ruling on it. it, it it's so, it's, I I couldn't fathom, like, the, the excuses that the, the DOJ has for this are just, they're laughable. They don't even address what he's saying here, of course, Like, these idiots got together in a room and in their zeal and lust for some sort of weird, hellish revenge upon somebody they disagree with ideologically, they—I just—I can't fathom being that terrible of a person. I can't.
0: Well, it's the equivalent of knocking on the wrong door and bursting in in the middle of the night with a SWAT team about 75 different times. And destroying the home before you realize you're in the wrong home 75 different times and not caring about it.
1: Yeah, and then nobody doing anything about it and nobody talking about it in the press and nobody reporting on it. And like, no, this was what a week and a half ago that this was filed And, and nobody not on the right or the left has talked about it. I actually sent a message over to the crew over there and said, I'm covering this today. He can't talk about it. You know, so I I, I, I'm just I I think I'm going to talk to Jenny and get myself out there on this story.
0: You should, because this is too big of a deal. And anybody who's a a believer in our protections, our our First Amendment, our Fourth Amendment, our Fifth Amendment, any any protection for your personal privacy should be enraged about this.
1: It's it's so egregious Mike it's like I, I know they do bad things and I thought that nothing could surprise me but I was literally sitting there reading all these things with my mouth hanging open that I'm,
0: it- I'm trying to think who's the best person that we know in Congress in the House of the Senate I would say uh, Rand Paul or Tom Massey would be two top voices who are all about trying to silence the surveillance state
1: Well, Mike, given that you're such good friends with our dear friend, um, Tom Massey, maybe you send this to him and just say, can you please read this?
0: It will be in his hands. I'll tell you what, I'm going to post it on the Twitters and I will tag uh, Congressman Massey and I will direct message him as well.
1: Please do, because somebody needs to do something about this. And it's all right there. He can look at everything. Everything's documented. There's no question about what's going on here. it, it it's it's unquestionable. So
0: oh, it's undeniable. And this just points to the reality that the swamp is still as swampy, if not swampier, than it was ever
1: and And just on that same vein, you know, again, they they accused us of being authoritarian, crazy, weaponizing the justice system people when Trump was in office, right? look at did you did you there's a there's a letter that came along with the project veritas story yesterday and it's it's 20 something yeah it's um it's 20 it was filed in the case it is 12 pages long it is a very detailed letter to the judge in the case that project veritas is in right now uh, in regards to ashley biden's diary
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. The diary that they got, um, from what I understand, legally, after everyone else had seen it, and, and then they got in trouble.
1: Well, they actually got the diary, didn't feel comfortable enough that they could vet out all of the material or its validity the way that their standards require. And what Project Veritas did was hand it over to law enforcement. Yeah. Right. They, they did exactly the right thing. And for that, the New York, the corrupt New York um, federal at, uh, attorneys, off, uh, FBI or whatever, you know, um, U.S. attorney, has decided to criminally go after Project Veritas using Ashley Biden's diary as their guys. And yesterday, a story broke that basically shows that the Department of Justice went to Microsoft and demanded all kinds of emails and data from three Project Veritas journalists and one um, HR supervisor, and then forced Microsoft into a two-year non-disclosure on that to stop them from telling anybody, including Project Veritas, that all of this was under their purview, and then lied to the judge in the case when the judge assigned another sort of mediator, to make sure that the government was staying within the lines on this because it's a freedom of the press press issue. And they never told the judge that they did any of this and they kept the information and they kept, you know, they kept information way outside of the time scope that was necessary. And it reminds me of when Nancy Pelosi's committee put out their letter, Mike, and my name was listed right on there, asking the White House for any communications with these individuals between like April of 2019 and I don't know what the date was, it was like sometime far after the election in 2020, like hmm. they were looking for any anybody that any communications the, the White House had had with any of the people on that list between those time periods, the committee, far in excess of anything that could be justifiable for what they were looking for, because why not? Why not?
0: How is this, if we were watching an episode of Law & Order, right, uh, any one of the millions of variants of Law & Order, because there are more variants of that show than there are COVID, uh, and, and a judge was presented with the fact that, well, this information was gotten surreptitiously and the company was forced to sign a two-year nondisclosure agreement about it, all of that would be thrown out. T- the t- entire case would be thrown out.
1: Typically, yes. You know, inadmissible evidence, illegally gotten evidence. And the yeah. problem is that we don't, just like the way they abuse the FISA court, and they were absconded for that, the same exact way they abuse every other magistrate. We have zero idea. And, and Costello makes a point of this in his filings, too. And so does Veritas. Zero idea. What? predicate they used in front of the judge that actually granted this stuff. Like, what did they tell that judge? We'll never know.
0: we won't. Well, I don't know what they told the judge, but I think a reasonable and fair judge would call this fruit of the poison tree. It, and uh, I think it all should have been thrown out. But you have to have the legal power and money to be able to withstand the fight.
1: It's 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 insane. And I think what they're really looking for with Veritas at the end of the day was a What are these people working on? They destroy us. I mean, they decimate, decimate um, corruption. They just do on both sides of the aisle. I mean, they've they've done stories on Republicans too. Um, So they decimate corruption. And B, who's funding them? Who?
0: Well, that'd be a good question.
1: So that's what they want to know, I think. And the Biden DOJ does not care. There's no accountability. They weaponize the supposed justice system against American citizens every single day, even school board, even school parents, parents of kids in school, that that's a scandal that has not gone away. It's just getting more and more depth every, every day. And, you know, Jim Jordan's looking into it. And then there was a report the other day that came out and then we're going to go over to what happens when you get bad justices and get into Supreme court, Mike,
2: because
1: (laughs) it's a great segue, but There was a report, Jim Jordan put out a letter the other day. I'm just searching for it because I didn't expect to talk. Here it is. In 2019, there was an internal audit in the FBI on how they handled sensitive investigations. That would be investigations against politicians, media, stuff like that. They call them SIBs, I believe. Um, SIMS, Special Investigative Matters, SIMS. And this audit exposed that, that, there were hundreds of these of a political nature, hundreds of investigations. They kept this audit secret. They failed it miserably, like 90 percent of the time.
0: This is a parallel to what happened during the Tea Party situation with the IRS Mm-hmm. and the way the, the um, Tea Party groups, uh, 9, 912 groups and any liberty loving group was absolutely hamstrung by the IRS and denied their 501c3 filings, and the paperwork, was, the paperwork request was just insane because they knew they could prevent them from doing anything as long as they had to fulfill the paperwork demands from the IRS. I know this story because I broke it nationally, and even the Huffington Post recognized my story on that was the first. But that happened, that's like 2012. And the IRS was ultimately convicted. And the interesting thing about the settlement, which involved millions of dollars from the government to be paid to these people, a few of the groups said, we don't want the money. The idea was not to have government in our business. You put the money back into getting rid of the national debt. And so they were quite altruistic and and true to the mission of their groups. But this is now just a different version. Another part of the government figured out, hey, we could mess with people if we did what they did to the 9 ers and to the, the tea party.
1: Who was the senator that passed away from, not senator, I think he was a house rep from Baltimore recently, like um, with, within the past two years?
0: I'm just thinking about the Alaskan guy who died last week, young, Ron Young. No, but-
1: this was, um, I'm forgetting his name. He was very close with Lerner. Anyway, long story short, the reason why I segue to that was because True, the vote was one of those organizations that got looped up into that, and Catherine Engelbrecht came to me and gave me a whole bunch of um, information about what this guy had done with Lois Lerner, and I, I had re re kind of kindled that story a couple of years ago because they had won their case against the um, against the IRS in court. So, yeah.
0: So that's still going on.
1: Well, it, it just it just finally. You know, I think the last of them is done now. But what happened, True the Vote is back. And they did that movie with Dinesh. And that's, you know, they did the ballot uh, harvesting work. So...
0: And meanwhile, Lois Lerner is living comfortably in her retirement that she was allowed to uh, postpone it until her retirement pension was allowed to increase.
1: Also charged with contempt, by the way, but never prosecuted.
0: Right. Unlike... Steve Ben.
1: Amazing how all, this all comes around, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Okay, let's get to some clips, shall we?
0: Sure. What Show, me.
1: Show <laughs> me. Actually, hold on a second. Hold yeah. on. Yeah. I had to take a little break there. Duty called. Not literal duty, but, you know. <laughs> Oversharing! <laughs> oh, my God. I didn't do number two. It was number one. <laughs> Just- Okay, go no, ahead. Necessary.
0: Not necessary. Just play it. All right. Um, Marsha Blackburn. Let's start off with Marsha Blackburn, shall we? The the great Marsha Blackburn. And the clip that a lot of people have been fascinated about with Blackburn is the one where she asks the judge uh, if she can define what a woman is. I don't know if you've seen that.
1: Uh, I haven't seen yep. it, but I want to hear it. Go ahead.
0: Okay. Um now you gotta hang on a second. Oh all right. So many damn clips open. I I got I got a, a feast of clips here.
1: You can't name them?
0: Um I do name them. Oh but is this a short one? Yeah, okay. Here's the first one. Here's here's a Marsha Blackburn and the clip that everybody is playing. At least I think this is the one. God, please let it be. I don't mm-hmm. want to be just again.
3: It- uh can you provide a definition for the word? Woman. Can I provide a definition? Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. I can't. You can't. Not in this context. I'm not a biologist.
0: So she said, I'm not a biologist. Um, I can't provide a definition for the word woman. Now, um, Piers Morgan, who I will reference again later, said, um, I'm not a brain surgeon, but I can tell you what a brain is. Which is a good lie, and I disagree with him on so many other things, but that's 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 interesting. That little exchange, that fifteen seconds, but I think what happened before it is more important, and the mainstream media ain't playing it. So here's that little bit.
3: Ms. Ginsburg, that there are physical differences between men and women that are enduring. Um. Senator, respectfully, I am not familiar with that particular quote or case, okay. so it's hard for me to okay. comment I, as to whether. All or not. right, I'd love to get your your opinion on on that, and you can submit that. Do you interpret Justice Ginsburg's meaning of men and women as male and female? Again, because I don't know the case, You're I don't know how. Oh, I interpreted. I need to read the whole okay. thing. So she
0: went at this from a real interesting point. She asked the candidate, the nominee, do you agree with Justice Ginsburg, you know, a far left justice, that there are significant differences between men and women? And she goes, I don't know because I don't know the case. And then she followed up with another question, similarly based from Ginsburg. And uh, Katenji Brown Jackson played the card of I don't know the case and it's it's really kind of lame, you can't
1: answer whether or not, if we're at a point right now where I, I mean, I would have to imagine that I would have to imagine that this woman knows there are biological differences between men and women, okay? There's She's
0: a mother. She's a mother. How did that happen? If there aren't
1: right. So if we're at a place where a Supreme Court nominee cannot answer in in their confirmation hearings, Whether or not they know the difference between a male and a female, we are in a world's more trouble than I even... This is just absurd. Yeah, and
0: it's important that 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 first context is brought to light because we're only playing that... The mainstream media is only playing that little clip. And I think this points out that the nominee is more interested in the woke world and, as a matter of fact, I, I envision this song playing underneath her as she's trying to answer the question. Forgive me, I had to do this.
1: Well, woke is is a pejorative for sure, so that's great.
0: Well, you know, it is. But so that was one part of yesterday. Uh, We also had the Lindsey Graham thing.
1: Yes, let's do that. Let's do Lindsey, because I have a lot to say about that man.
0: Is that not your state?
1: It is my state, which is why I have a lot to say.
0: And uh, Senator Graham is getting a ton of attention. And I'm going to tell you, I run hot and cold on Lindsey Graham. There's some days I like him and some days I don't like him. And I know people don't understand that, but I think all of us can be liked and disliked on any given day. I, but this is the 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 moment with um uh, that dick
1: before you before you play it and give the yeah. the preface, I want to say this. I'm going to guarantee something. i'm ninety nine percent sure Lindsey Graham has gone into these hearings knowing he's already voting for whoever Joe Biden puts up there he is this is a show for PR he doesn't mean any of it and he's a liar okay go ahead
0: okay I'm just saying it's Lindsey Graham and that um that Democrat dick um Durbin the, Durbin I just wanted to call a Democrat a dick and have it be okay it's Dick Durbin yeah <laughs> uh, not 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 Dick Blumenthal or one of the other Democrat dicks
1: Dick Schiff oh that's not his name never mind
0: uh, that's Adam Schiffless. Right. Shift for brains. But this is uh, Dick Durbin and uh, the back and forth.
1: With the beginning of
4: the Obama administration, the recidivism rate of the Guantanamo detainees released is 5%. So Mr. Chairman,
5: according to the department, uh, Director of National Intelligence, is 31%. Somebody is wrong here. If you're going to talk about what I said, I'm going to respond to what you said. If we close Gitmo and move them to Colorado, do you support indefinite detention under the law of war for these detainees?
4: I would just say uh, I'm giving the facts.
0: And I the answer is sure,
4: no. I want to make sure that it's clear. The 31% you referred to goes back to the year 2009?
0: 2009. What does it
5: matter when it goes back to we had them and they got loose and they started killing people? Well, I could just say that uh, if you're one you suggest- of the people killed in 2005, does it matter to you when we release them?
4: Just the president of your own party released them. I'm
5: suggesting the system that has danger. failed miserably and advocates to change this system like she was in, was was advocating would destroy our ability to protect this country. We're, We're at war. We're not fighting a crime. This is not some passage of time event. As long as they're dangerous, I hope they all die in jail if they're going to go back and kill Americans. It won't bother me one bit if 39 of them die in prison. That's a better outcome than letting them go. And if it costs $500 million to keep them in jail, keep them in jail because they're going to go back to the fight. Look at the friggin' Afghan government. It's made up of former detainees at Gitmo. This whole thing by the left about this war ain't working.
0: So uh, Butch Lindsey is, is talking tough. And by the way, as a sidebar to that story about the Taliban and the government and the people we released who are running Afghanistan now, uh, yesterday they announced girls can't go to school anymore, too. So they're not just out to kill all of us and, and get rid of Israel. Uh, the people that we've released have now taken Afghanistan back 25 years. <laughs>
1: Where's that little emoji with the zipper that goes over your mouth?
0: (laughs) Why, you don't want to say something? No,
1: I I, no. Mm
0: -mm. You can dislike someone and they can stumble into the right point. He did ask uh, uh, Judge Katenji Brown Jackson uh, about faith, though. I think you heard a little bit of that earlier. Do you want to hear that or should we get to Teddy?
1: No, no, no. We'll do that and then Teddy Boy. Okay.
0: Which I'm sure will end up on SNL. but uh, Here we go, uh, uh, Senator Graham, yesterday.
5: Well, how would you feel if a senator up here said, your faith, a dogma lives loudly within you and that's of concern? How would you feel if somebody up here on our side said, you know, you attend church too much for me or your faith is a little bit different to me and they would suggest that it would affect your decision? Would you find that offensive?
3: Senator,
5: I'm, I'm... I would if I were you. I found it offensive when they said it about Judge Barrett. The reason I ask these questions is I have no doubt that your faith is important to you, and I have zero doubt that you can adjudicate people's cases fairly if they're an atheist. If I had any doubt, I would, I, I would say so. But the only reason I mention this, Judge, you're reluctant to talk about it because it's uncomfortable. Just imagine what would happen if people on late night television called you an effing nut speaking in tongues because you've practiced the Catholic faith in a way they uh, couldn't relate to or found uncomfortable.
0: It was just making a point. That was carrying a little water for the party mm. to say we're not going to treat you like you treated us. Well, we should. I, I don't know if we should. You know, two wrongs don't make a right, two rights make an airplane. So I, I say let it go.
1: I think we're already doing far better with this nominee than we could with any other nominee that we may put in front of the Democrats. So, I mean, they had an insurrection, if we're using the left's definition of the word, over Kavanaugh.
0: Oh, my God. I was was in the building. I have video from what was going on inside the um, Hart office building during the the hearing. And that's the one where I pissed off Elizabeth Warren by asking her, If she would take a DNA test, if I would pay for it, (laughs) she got really I video that.
1: I want to see that. Okay, I got to see that.
0: she was not happy. But yeah, they were there were hundreds, if not thousands of people swarming the building, not just inside the uh, the hearing room during the Kavanaugh hearing. And they were acting insane. It was the weirdest display. And I know it's First Amendment protected but some of it was so over the top, those people should have gotten counseling.
1: <laughs> counseling. All right,
0: should we get to Teddy?
1: Show Teddy Boy. Let's do Teddy Boy.
0: I got a couple of things from Ted Cruz, and they're long form, so we'll try and get through them. Uh, he was talking with the nominee, and let's preface this by, do you know Ted Cruz's history as a debater?
1: Yes, he's, uh, Is it was it Yale or He's Yale, right?
0: He's Yale, and there's an award named after him for the debate. For the debate. If you're the best debater at Yale, you get the Cruz Award, the yep. t- whatever the trophy is. So he's that good. Yeah. And uh, he <laughs> he is uh, he was showing those skills, and he came prepared yesterday with props and visual aids. Um, let's go through the first part of this. I'll stop and start. Or you can yell if you want to stop. But this, uh, there's some real interesting stuff here.
4: Related to the 1619 Project, which I believe is, is deeply inaccurate and misleading. Um, 1619 Project is close, closely intertwined with a movement that is called critical race theory. Uh, critical race theory, as you know, originated at your and my alma mater at, at the Harvard Law School. Uh, in your understanding, what, what does critical race theory mean? What is it?
3: Senator, my understanding is that critical race theory is um, it is an academic theory that is about the ways in which uh, race interacts with um, various institutions. It doesn't come up in my work as a judge. It's never something that I've uh, studied or relied on, and it wouldn't be something that I would rely on if I was on the Supreme Court. So how does she know that?
0: You can't say she doesn't, but you can't see Ted Cruz's face. But when she said it's something I've never studied. The smile, it's like when the Grinch smiles, mm. the smi- the sides of his mouth just turned up. He was like, oh, yes. Oh, yeah. So let's let him continue.
4: So critical race theory, as you know, has its origins in the critical legal studies movement, which also came from Harvard Law School, from a number of critical legal studies professors, crits as they were known when we were in law school, uh, who are explicitly Marxists. And they find their origins in Marxism, although critical legal studies frames society as a fundamental battle between socioeconomic classes, critical race theory frames all of society as a fundamental and intractable battle uh, between, between the races. It views every conflict as, as a racial conflict.
0: Now, I love that he explained it to her, knowing full well that she knows what it is, but he wanted the rest of us to understand what critical race theory is and how it came from a Marxist-based group at Harvard Law where they both graduated. Mm-hmm. So now, now he's about to reel. He's got the hook out there. And it's been kind of nibbled on. He's about to reel in this fish.
4: Um, Do you think that's an accurate way of viewing society in the world we live in?
3: Senator, I don't think so. Um, But I've never studied critical race theory and never used it. It doesn't (laughs) come up in the work that I do as a judge.
4: So so with respect, I I find that a curious statement uh, because – You gave a speech in April of 2015.
0: And one of his assistants is putting up a giant board right now, a red board with black letters in it, uh, four inch tall black letters.
4: uh, At the University of Chicago, in which you described the job you do as a judge. And you. Hold on a second. And you said sentencing is just plain interesting because it melds together myriad types of law, criminal law and, of course, constitutional law, critical race theory. So you described in a speech to a law school what you were doing as critical race theory. Uh, And so I guess I would ask, what what did you mean by that when you gave that speech?
3: With respect, Senator. uh Now, when
0: someone says, with respect, Senator. It's basically like F you. That's like well, you grew up in Long Island around a bunch of Italians, Italian family. When somebody says, good for you, God bless. (laughs) What does that mean? That's exactly
1: It's, it's the same thing as bless your heart.
0: Yeah. Bless your heart. Good for you. God
3: bless. With respect, Senator.
0: She continues.
3: Um, The quote that you are mentioning there um, was about sentencing policy. It was not about sentencing. Um, I was talking about the policy uh, determinations of bodies like the Sentencing Commission when they look at a laundry list of various academic subjects as they consider what the policy should be. Okay, but you you were
4: Vice Chair of the Sentencing Commission, so let me ask again, what did you mean by, because that was an official responsibility of yours,
3: what What did you mean
4: by what you were doing was critical race? What
3: I meant was that there are a number of, that that uh, slide does not show the entire laundry list of different uh, academic disciplines that I said um, relate to sentencing policy, but none of that relates to what I do as a judge.
4: Let me ask you a different question. Is, is critical race theory taught in schools? Is it taught kindergarten through 12th?
3: Senator, I don't know. I don't think so. I believe it's an academic theory that's at the law school level.
0: Okay. okay. Once, once again, Ted Cruz's corners of his mouth just went up when she said, I don't believe so. I believe it's taught at uh, the law school level. And then we get it. You got to tell we have time for one. Oh, more. yeah. We we,
1: of, of course we do. Yes. This is
0: too good. Uh, he continued. All, all of us will deg- agree that, that no one
4: should be discriminated against because of race. When well, you no, just stop t- it. Stop, t- stop it. Stop it. That you
0: didn't know. Yes.
1: Okay. I've broken down Ted Cruz's methodology for mm-hmm. how he slaughters somebody before or att- <laughs> attempts to anyway. Yeah. He always Always follows the same formula. If you want to debate Ted Cruz, know his formula. Ready? He starts off by stating a point that everybody will agree with.
0: Sure. That's, that's great debate uh, planning. Yes.
1: Then. <laughs> Keep going. Go ahead. <laughs> Go
0: ahead. <laughs>
1: <No>. <laughs> I'll explain it after he does it. It'll be easier. Go ahead. Okay.
4: All of us will deg- agree that, that no one should be discriminated against because of race. When you just testified a minute ago that you didn't know if critical race theory was taught in K through 12, I I will confess, I I find that statement a little hard to reconcile uh, with the public record. Because if you look at the Georgetown Day School's curriculum, it is filled and overflowing with critical race theory.
0: Now, she sits on the board. She, Katenji Brown Jackson, sits on the board of the Georgetown Day School, a private, Tony private day school in the D.C. Virginia area, as does Professor Fairfax, uh, her friend, who is the chairman of the board of the Georgetown Day School.
1: Is she on the board or is she on the. Okay, is the board the same as the board of trustees? Uh,
0: It's like the board of trustees of a school. It's not the school board. It's the board of trustees of the school. But still, you're on You're you're in a leadership role administratively over the entire school and the school board, which, you know, that usually connects to other schools. But uh, I, Ted wanted, is-
1: I want to make the distinction because it's important. I think that the board of trustees position is more uh, critical than the actual school board. Go ahead. Well, you
0: would think, but the judge seems to think it's not. So, uh, well, let's let her explain.
4: That, that among the do- the books that are either assigned...
0: Now he's reaching down to his side, and he's pulling up a stack of books.
4: Or recommended? Uh, they include critical race theory and introduction.
0: So the first book he shows to the woman who says she she's never studied it, is critical race theory and introduction.
4: Uh, they include. The End of Policing, and ad, An Advocacy for Abolishing Police. They include How to Be an Anti-Racist by I- Ibram Kendi. They include literally stacks and stacks of books, and I'll tell you two of the ones that were most stunning. They include a book called Anti-Racist Baby.
1: Oh. Now,
0: <laughs> as he's getting ready to get into this children's book called Anti-Racist Baby, the giant boards, which are blow ups of the pages from this book from Ibram Kendi, are going up behind him. Here we go. Uh,
4: by I- Ibram Kendi. And there are portions of this book.
0: He's got the actual book, that, too. That,
4: that I find really quite remarkable. One portion of the book says babies are taught to be racist or anti racist, there is no neutrality. Another portion of the book. They recommend the babies confess when being racist.
0: Now, don't you agree that all babies should be forced to confess when being. These are the books that are in the school on which she sits on the board. Uh And and you're wondering how she going to get out of this, right? Uh Well, let's let this go.
4: Now, this is a book that is taught at Georgetown Day School. Mm to students in pre-K through second grade, so four through seven years old. Four um, through seven. Do, do, you, do you agree with this book that is being taught with kids that, that babies are racist?
1: I love it. Hold Senator. on. Yeah. Senator. <laughs> do, do you agree? I was dying. Babies are racist? Do you agree how, with this that teaches babies are racist? How do you... Even I'm. if she can't wiggle her way out of this in a cohesive way, she does not deserve to be sitting in that seat. Let's see.
0: When did you stop beating your husband?
1: Exactly. <laughs> That's a
0: real time pause. <laughs> <laughs> I cut it. I didn't extend it. Let's go back and count it, shall we? Yes. Uh, uh, ask the question, uh, Senator One Senator Two Three Four
1: It's longer than that
0: Five
1: I do not believe Hold on, it. stop It was In nine I- seconds I was looking at a ticker <laughs>
0: That's just the greatest
1: Your seconds you just, were two seconds
0: It's the squirm factor on steroids <sighs> But at least you didn't say respectfully
3: Yeah I do not believe that any child should be made to feel as though they are racist or though they are not valued or though they are less than, that they are victims, that they are oppressors. I don't believe in any of that. But what I will say is that when you asked me whether or not this was taught in schools, critical race theory. My understanding is that critical race theory as an academic theory is taught in law schools. And to the extent that you were asking the question, I understood you to be addressing public schools. Georgetown Day School, just like the religious school that Justice Barrett was on the board of is a private school. Okay,
4: so so you agree critical race theory is taught at Georgetown Day School?
3: I don't know because the no. board is not um, the board does not control the curriculum. The board does not focus on that. That's not Stop what
1: it. we see. Stop do it! We. I can't contain myself. <laughs> Number one, she didn't answer the question. Do you believe right? babies are racist?
0: Right. She went. Uh, she went to a beauty pageant queen answer.
1: Number two, she denounced critical race theory without saying it even though I don't believe she believed a word of what she was saying because she no. basically took all the tenets of what's taught in critical race theory and said she didn't agree with any of them and number three for us to believe for even a second that she has no idea what's uh, there's another one what's taught at the school that she sits on the board of trustees on other than if they were using her name to have you know in a, in a sort of a social justice warrior type way to have somebody like her on the board that 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 whatever and then number 4 he never made any distinction between public and private school how could she make that assumption and if she's going to make an assumption about what somebody said there how can she handle that on the court would she follow up would she ask a follow up question of somebody standing before her arguing in a in a critical matter in front of the supreme court or would she assume what they meant sorry
0: no problem Okay. Shall I let her continue? There's a little so- bit more.
3: I'm sorry, member, So I'm actually not sure.
4: Well, and I'll note that the board is is chaired by Professor Fairfax, your college roommate, who introduced you yesterday. So the two of you serve on the board together. Um, another book that is on the uh, summer reading for third through fifth grade is a book called Stamp for Kids, again by Ibram Kendi. Uh, I read the entirety of the book, and I will say it is uh, an astonishing book. Uh, on page. 33, it asks the question.
0: Yeah, at this point, do you think her sphincter is so tight he's well, it, going to read from the book?
1: You can never read from these books in front of these people and have them keep a straight face because they're so terrible.
0: I know. They well,
1: offend the most, the most rough of us. In, in Yes.
0: So here goes Ted. He's going to quote.
4: Can we send white people... Back to Europe.
1: That's a quote
0: from the book. Just right there. Uh, Let's cut to Judge Jackson.
4: That's on 33. That's what's being given to eight and nine years old. It also, on page 115, says the idea that we should pretend not to see racism is connected to the idea that we should pretend not to see color. It's called colorblindness skipping ahead here's what's wrong with this it's ridiculous skin color is something we all absolutely see skipping ahead so to pretend not to see color is pretty convenient if you don't actually want to stamp out racism in the first place now what this book argues for is the exact opposite of what dr. King spoke about on the floor of the of the Lincoln Memorial and and are you comfortable uh, with with these ideas being taught to children as young as four in in respect to the first book, as young as eight and nine in respect to the second
3: book? Senator, I have not reviewed any of those books, any of those ideas. They don't come up in my work as a judge, which I'm respectfully here
1: to address.
3: In my work as a judge, which is evidenced from my near decade on the bench,
0: OK,
4: good. I am... then, then let's go back to, to your work as a judge.
0: I've got to stop it there. But the fact that she's telling Ted Cruz that her work as a judge and her work on the school board have no bearing on her nomination, when the Democrats were perfectly willing to bring up the high school partying antics, uh, alleged high school partying antics of Judge Kavanaugh, now Justice Kavanaugh. Uh, shows you the contrast and the disingenuous nature of the Democratic Party compared to the Republicans.
1: And I just was going to end the show today, and I don't know if you have it. I'm trying to find it as we speak here, but the mayor of Boston
0: made it—the a- oh, Asian mayor who was telling uh, white jokes yes. on Patrick's. I don't have it, but I I hope you do. Uh,
1: hold on, I'm going to pause it real quick and find it. I'm going to find it. This was this was yesterday. This was yesterday or oh, no, two days ago. Sorry, here we go. This is the um, Mayor Wu from Boston. Over a hundred days, we have connected unhoused residents at Mass and Cast to housing, treatment and services. We've launched three free bus lines. We've taken some big, bold actions, but I won't lie. This past winter was pretty intense. Trial by snow, trial by fire, firefighters union, I'm getting used to dealing with problems that are expensive, disruptive, and white. I'm talking about snowflakes, snowflakes. I mean, snowstorm snowflakes.
0: Wow, St. Patrick's Day celebration, she was making those jokes.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Classy. That just shows you, they point a finger at you and there are three pointing right back at them.
1: This was a good show today, Mike.
0: Well, good is the enemy of great, so I'll work harder.
1: <laughs> you have been listening to The Dark Delight Podcast
0: with Mike Opelka.
1: And beans, you can hear us every Monday, Wednesday and Friday at 2:30 Eastern Time on TuneIn, Stitcher, Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify and radioinfluence.com. Um we'll be back on Friday. Mike will not.
0: No, I won't be. I have to see a man about a dog.
1: That's fine, but Mike will be back on Monday.
0: Yes, I will.